Thank you, worship team. Thank you so very, very much. Good morning. All right, that was just okay, if I'm being honest. I like to be honest. Good morning. I think I'll stay. It is good to be with you guys. My name is Mark. I was not here last week. I was in Texas. I'll talk more about that later. But the first thing we're going to do, one of my favorite things, is a child dedication to dedicate our children to the Lord. Nothing's more incredible than that. So Keith and Kara, we are going to dedicate Mie, M-I-A-E, Mie. I love that name. And this is Jarrett. Jarrett's two right? Mia is about nine months, a little bit more. She was born, I think, on June 30 of last year, and you are a big girl who got some teeth coming in. Yeah, isn't she precious? We have some family that's here, I think, to support you guys as well. If you guys would just raise your hand if you're here as family, thank you so much for being here. I love days like today to just be reminded that we belong to the Lord and, and, and that children are a blessing from our Lord. So congratulations, you guys. God has... I had some fillings put in. Maybe that's it. I do got a hardware full of teeth. So are teeth full of hardware? Something like that? Mouth full of hardware? God established the home as one of the most vital institutions on earth. And so we come today not only to ask God's special blessing on this new life, but also to challenge and encourage Keith and Kara to be godly parents, to be a godly father and a godly mother who will love and care for Mie and, of course, for, for Jared. And to give Mie every opportunity to live the kind of life that God wants her to live. The purpose of a baby dedication is this. It's for parents with the support of family and friends to pledge their commitment to raising their children in the knowledge of the Almighty God. It is a time not only to dedicate the child, but for parents to recognize that they are dedicating themselves to raise their children in the love and the truth of our Lord. Keith and Cara, the Lord will certainly hear your prayers for Mie, but he also expects you to teach his word to Mie diligently, all the time, as you help her through God's Word to navigate her way through life. It's also a time for the congregation to pledge to come alongside the family and make a commitment to help raise their daughter in the ways of the Lord, to help instill the truth of God's Word into the lives of all of our church families. Will you do that, church? A few scriptures out of Psalm 127, it says, "...unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain." Children are a heritage from the Lord. They are reward from Him. Congratulations. Deuteronomy 6, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. What this means is that teaching your children about the wonders of Christ is 24-7. Every day, all day. Day and night, no matter where you are or what you're doing, teach them about the wonders of our heavenly God. Everything should reflect upon the wonders of Christ as you diligently teach your children as you go through life together. Keith and Cara, please reply to, reply to the following questions. Do you stand before us and before God today seeking to be godly parents to me, eh? 
do you commit before God and these witnesses that you will do all that is within your power to maintain your home where Mie will be cared for and loved? And do you commit to raising this child to love and honor God with all of her heart? With that, I remind you again that God has graciously given you this child. She belongs to you, but in a greater way, she belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand before you with the gift of infinite value that you have entrusted to Keith and to Kara. We celebrate the birth of Mie this morning and pray that you fill Keith and Kara with an abundance of wisdom. Enable them to be parents that will make the difference of a lifetime in their daughter's life. Help them, Father, to stay in tune with your Holy Spirit as you provide Keith and Kara with the internal guidance that they and little Mie need. Bless their home with warmth, provision, and safety. Fill their grandparents and extended families with your love so that this family will experience kindness, mercy, and hope on a regular basis. Prepare this precious soul for the abundant life that is found only in Jesus Christ. As a church, we open ourselves in a fresh way to be used by you, Lord, to help shape and encourage this family. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who blesses children as no other. Amen. We did it, you guys. We did it. Good job. The Lord loves you, Mie. Yes. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. He's begging for applause, man. He's like, he's going to be like me. That's great. He's like, if you don't know how to do it, I'm going to show you. You just put these together. That's awesome. Hey, so um, I after... It's crazy, right? Two weekends ago was Easter, and it seems like three months ago for me, you know, because I left a couple days later on a Thursday for Texas for our church plant. We had our first service last Sunday. Um, yeah, amazing. Thank you. So I got back a couple days ago on Tuesday. I had a chance to watch uh, Pastor Dave's uh, message online. Uh, we can pull that off real quick. Yeah, if we can pull those pictures off real quick. I'm not quite there. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so I got home on Tuesday from Texas and um, uh, got to watch uh, Pastor Dave bring the message. And if you don't remember, Dave hadn't preached for about four, three and a half, four months because you know, he's been struggling with some health issues, as we know. Um, but uh, it was just amazing to see him not only back in the pulpit, but just how faithful he is to God's Word. Um, I love him so much. He's so faithful. He loves you guys. He, he loves the Lord, just loves the church. And uh, I, I told him last night when he was here, you know, there's, there's been moments in my life I've known the Lord since I was 15 where I wonder, you know, what Jesus is going to be like. And, when I, and when, I, when I wonder that, I just think of Dave Briggs and I think he's probably going to be a lot like that. You know what I'm saying? When I think of Jesus, just guys like Dave Briggs come to mind. We're so blessed. So I just want to say thank you to him and I hope you enjoyed that. It was incredible. Um, go ahead and throw those slides up. There's just a couple of slides. But yeah, we had our first... Um, uh, it, was, it was really what we call a soft opening. We're not really doing our, our more uh, um, uh, public opening until May. We're going to do five monthly services, if, if you recall, April, May, June, July, and August. And then in September, we're going to start meeting weekly. So this was just a soft opening, just kind of family and friends. But we had uh, 40 adults and 15 children. It was nuts. And it just went so well. I was just so blessed and impressed by the team and all the – I mean – a ton of work. We ordained Pastor Chris like barely 40 days ago, and what this team pulled off in 30-something days was just nothing short of a miracle. And uh, so we're in good hands. Things are up and running. Uh, just so thankful to be uh, a part of that. Um, 
We have a baptism today. If you can make it, we'd love to have you. We have 15 people being baptized. I've been here three years, and we've baptized, yeah. When I, when I left for Texas a week and a half ago, there was three on the, on the list. When I got back six days later, it turned into 15. I don't know what God's doing, but we're just pleased that he's doing stuff. So if you can come and support these people as we welcome them into the family of God, that would be incredible. And then lastly, and perhaps the most important thing, is my, my ducks are down two games to zero. Where's Randy? Where's, Ra- where's Randy Hodgson? Rand- and Randy... Randy's a big Kings fan, so he doesn't care about my ducks, but his Kings are down 2 nothing too, so we need prayer, Randy, right? Our hockey teams both need prayer. Go Knights! All right, I've, I've, I've created a problem. I've, I've only myself to blame. I asked last night to pray for the ducks, and, 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 and it, I asked the wrong people, apparently. Gosh rough. It was rough to watch. Um, It's good to be with you guys. The Lord loves you a lot. The Lord loves us so much. It's just so good to gather around His Word. I'm going to open up with this uh, little video clip. See if you remember this from a few years ago. Sometimes I dream that He is me. You got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move, I move, I dream I groove, like Mike, if I could be like Mike, oh, if I could be like Mike, like Mike, if I could be like Mike, be like Mike, be like Mike, be like Mike, yeah, I try, just need to fly, just one day if I could be that way, I dream I move, You know, I've been singing that all week. It's making me crazy now. I can't get it out of my head, so I just needed some company. That's all. You know, I think the church needs to make a video or a commercial about, I want to be like Jesus. What would that look like? I would just like a 60-second YouTube clip of something, some church to make a clip about, I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be like Mike. I want to be like Jesus. The title of today's message is, (laughs) being a Christian means being like Christ. Being a Christian means being like Christ. And being like Christ means this. It means we do those things that are pleasing to God. It means that we do those things that bring glory to God. Being a Christian means being like Christ. And being like Christ means we do those things that are pleasing to Him and we do those things that bring glory to the Almighty God. And so I wonder how much of our lives are made up of choices that are pleasing to us and bring glory to us as opposed to the choices we make that are pleasing to Him and bring glory to Him. Consider a few verses. John eight twenty nine. Jesus Himself said this, He said, he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone. Look what Jesus says, his words, for I always do the things that are pleasing to God, to my Father. 
So then Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, he says the same thing that Christ said about himself. Paul says about himself. He says, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Because Christ was that way, Paul says, I'm to be that way. And so then he's going to encourage us in Ephesians 5.10 to be the same way as well. That we are to be trying to learn what is pleasing to God. I believe that's why you're here. That you are here because you're trying to learn what is pleasing to God so that you can indeed live lives that are pleasing to Him so that God ultimately is glorified because of it. Amen? Amen. Turn a little to your left to Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, because when we please God, it brings glory to God. Because we're pleasing Him, not ourselves, we bring glory to Him instead of bringing glory to ourselves which is something that we have to fight all the time. See, from ver- I'm not going to read all these verses, but from 3, verse 3 to verse 14, is all the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And he starts off in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. So this is all about God. We're blessing God. Blessed be the God and Father of Jesus because He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because of Christ. And then it goes to the end of verse 6, or to verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Christ was God's grace extended to us. And He extends that grace to the praise of the glory of His name, of His grace, the name of God, to bring glory to God. Look also in verse 12, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. And then again in verse 14, who is given, Christ is, or the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. Why? To the praise of His glory. Everything we do should be about pleasing God and bringing glory to the name of our God. Jesus said He always did that. Always did that. And so we're called to always do that. Let's read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and then we're going to pray. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read 1 through 11. We utilize the NASB here at the Rock Community Church, the New American Standard Bible. If you're using your phone, look for the NASB. If you need a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. Take it. It's free. Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore... Boy, church, I'm telling you, these are some challenging 11 verses for us today. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, Paul says, make my joy complete (laughs) by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Verse 3 starts to get a little bit more uncomfortable. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ, who, although he existed in in the essence of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, 
taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. And so it's for this reason also that God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Jesus the name which is above every name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. Jesus didn't just come to save you and to save me. He saved us because it brings glory to God. Everything he did brought glory to the Almighty. Let's pray. Lord, we are humbled for what you have done for us. And we pray, Lord, that we just continue to learn how to please you and bring glory to your name. Have your way with us, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Here's our um, outline for our 11 verses. The first four verses are about the command that Paul gives us on how to live, to, be, to live unified and to live with a single purpose and to be of the same heart and mind. That's the command he gives us. And then he points us to the commander, Jesus Christ himself. He said he lived that way and we're called to live the same way. So he points us to the command and then he points us to the commander, our commander-in-chief. And then because everything Jesus did, everything that the commander did and how he lived his life that we all will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and every knee will bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. And so we'll have this confession. So that's our outline for our 11 verses. Let's reread verses 1 through 4, our first stanza, the command. Let's reread Philippians 2, 1, 2, 3, and 4. Therefore, Paul writes, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, then do me a favor. <laughs> Make my joy complete. How? Church, be of the same mind. Maintain the same love. Be united in spirit. Be intent on one purpose. Don't do anything from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Wow, what an amazing challenge for us. <laughs> Church, based on these verses, on these 11 verses, it, 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 it may just be time for many of you, some of you, all of you, all of us to up our game, to up our game. If you recall from Easter weekend, two weekends ago, I preached out of Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 22, and we talked about the three things that Jesus Christ does for us. Jesus rescued us, he redeemed us, and he reconciled us. That's what Jesus did for us out of Colossians 1, 13 through 22. Jesus rescued us, he redeemed us, and he reconciled us. He did what we could not and cannot do. He did that for us. And because of what Christ did, Paul now challenges us to do what Christ cannot do for us. What is that? Be like Christ. Not be like Mike. Be like Christ. See, Jesus can't do that for us. Paul saying, Jesus did what he can do for you, but he can't do for you what he can't do for you. You've got to do for you what you've got to do for you. Right? 
Jesus rescued us. He redeemed us. He reconciled us. But he cannot do what only we can do for ourselves, and that is to be like Christ. Here's a quote for sure, for sure. Many of us, if not everybody here, were thankful for Christ, for our future living. But perhaps too often we're not mindful of Christ. We're thankful for Christ. Thank you for what you did for me. But we're not mindful of Christ for our current living. Thank you that I'm not, I'm, I, when I die, I'm not going to go to hell. I'm going to go to heaven. And that's it. And that's where we stop. So we're thankful for Christ, but we're not mindful of Christ. You know, remember those bracelets? I don't even know if people wear them anymore. There was four letters on those bracelets. Right? What would Jesus do? I don't know if you wore one. I, ne- I, I never wore one. I, I don't know why. I think that's a fantastic idea, right? But it's, you know... Di- I don't know if the percentage of how often we did what Jesus would do, you know, if that raised up, you know, if the, right? Or, or, or if it didn't. And maybe that's why we're not wearing them anymore. I, I don't know. But it's a great concept that we would be mindful of Christ. And that was a reminder to be mindful of Christ. What would Jesus do? So we're not just thankful for Christ, we're mindful of Christ. So whatever that takes in your life to be mindful of Christ, I hope you would do that. Because, see, here's the deal. We are <laughs> Christians with a Bible, for sure. I'm a Christian with a Bible. We've got Bibles all throughout here. You've got Bibles on your phone. You've got Bibles at home. But are we biblical Christians? Are we Christians with the Bible, or are we biblical Christians? I hope and pray that we are and are becoming biblical Christians. Let's rework verse 1 of chapter 2. Because, I don't know if you saw that, that there's this if. The the word if is mentioned four times in verse 1, but that word if is iffy. And let me explain. It's better understood since then or because of. Because, and he lists four things Paul does. Because or since these things are true in verse 1. Because these things are true, then we are to respond the way we are told in verse 2. So because since then, verse 1, then we must act this way in verse 2, which I'll break down in a second. So all Paul is doing is he's gently reminding the church at Philippi, he's gently reminding Christians of what we have in common. That's verse 1. Since we have these things, verse 1. These four statements in verse 1 recall the common blessings that we all share as being Christian. Here's the first one it says in verse 1, since we are united in Christ. When we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, we are now united around the person of Jesus Christ. So since we are united in Christ, since we are comforted by his love, since we have in common the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the fourth thing is since we have experienced the tenderness and compassion of Jesus Christ, that's what we share in common. We're united in Christ, we're comforted by His love, we have in common the dwelling of the Holy Spirit within us, and we have all experienced the tenderness and compassion of Christ. Since those things are true, Paul says, then we are to do verse 2. And that's why he says, therefore, in the opening word of verse 1. Therefore, since these four things are true, and then he jumps to verse 2, he says, make my joy complete. And then he jumps into verse 2. And so we must constantly live lives that are transitioning from just being thankful for Christ to being mindful of Christ. That's the life of the Christian, transitioning from thankfulness to mindfulness. 
It's great to be thankful. Be thankful for what He's done, but we must be mindful of what He wants us to do in response. We need to transition always from understanding to execution, from understanding to execution. That's what we're called to. Why? So that the Lord's joy may be complete. And so I ask you, how complete or incomplete might the Lord's joy be on your behalf? How complete or incomplete might the Lord's joy be on your behalf? So this is whole since. Since verse 1, then verse 2. And so Paul lists four things in verse 2 as he does in verse 1. And as powerful as they are, church, listen to this, as powerful as they are, the church, (laughs) I've said this before, the church isn't about our collective, individual salvation stories. They're powerful. Those stories are amazingly powerful. But that's not what the church isn't about, a bunch of individual stories. The church is about us. It's about us being a part of a larger body of Christ. We're connected to all believers in Christ, all the other churches. So it's not just about our individual salvation stories. Those are powerful. But the church is about us being part of the body of Christ. And he's the head of the church. And we're to be united, not apart, but united in heart and mind and soul. And advancing the purposes of him whom we call Lord. That's what verse 2 says, intent on one purpose. What a challenge for us. Let's read the powerful language of verse 2. What does verse 2 say? Therefore, verse 1 says, because of those things, the common things we have in verse 1, therefore, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the Spirit, and intent on one purpose. Do you think of our church? Do you think of the church when you read verse 2? Being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Does that that verse, does verse 2, does that inspire us or does it make us kind of skeptical? Like, is that possible? Can we actually do verse 2? Can we pull that off? I hope it inspires you instead of makes you skeptical. Because... As these verses read, because he, then we. That's what verses 1 and 2 say. Because he, then we. Because he did those things in verse 1, we can do what he's called us to in verse 2. And so, in order to do that, we must, as these verses say, have a heavy, heavy, heavy reliance upon the Spirit of God. We can't do this in the flesh. We can do it in the Spirit of God. Amen? Imagine this, church. Imagine. Imagine. Imagine, imagine if the church awoke each morning, and I'm talking the church, not this church, every church across the globe woke up every morning and prayed Philippians 2.2. Imagine if every believer across the globe woke up and prayed Philippians 2.2, where we would say, Lord, we want to make your joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So often we think of the church as being divisive and segmented and fragmented. Imagine if we prayed this every morning. I imagine that the Lord's joy would move towards being complete. But how? (laughs) How do we do this? How do we do verse 2? 
Let's read verses 3 and 4. This is how. Verses 3 and 4 tell us. Do nothing. How many things? Nothing. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard the person to your left, to your right, in front of you, behind you, outside the doors, inside the doors. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Is that how we live? I'm trying to. It's hard. It's really, really hard. Do those two verses describe us? Do verses 3 and 4 describe you? Do verses 3 and 4 describe the life that you're currently living? Do you know who they do describe? Who do you think they do describe? Jesus. Hmm. Being a Christian means being like Christ. Being a Christian means being like Christ. See, there's a reason that Paul says what he says in verses 3 and 4. There's a reason Paul says these things in verses 3 and 4, to do nothing from selfishness or conceit, to regard one another as more important than us, and to not merely look out for our own personal interests. There's a reason he says those things. You know what the reason is? <laughs> because you and I have tendencies, church. You and I have tendencies, and a lot of those tendencies are ugly, aren't they? I know it's true in my life. We tend to be selfish and conceited. Yeah, I'm guilty. We, we, we tend to regard ourselves as more important than other people. Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that one too, Paul. We tend to look out for our own interests and not those of others. I'm, I'm guilty of that one too. That's why Paul brings these things up, because we have tendencies. And those tendencies are not always pretty, are they? One commentator says this, he says, there is no joy for the Christian who puts himself above others. And that's the way I understand Scripture. There's no joy for the Christian who puts himself above others. And so to me, it would be interesting if we could to measure two things, to measure both our joy and our selfishness. If we were able to measure our level of joy and our, uh, our level of selfishness, I wonder if they would be opposite. If our joy's really up, my guess would be that our selfishness is really down. And if our selfishness is really up, my guess is that our joy would be really down. That's the way I understand Scripture. What do verses 3 and 4 not say? Let me tell you what verses 3 and 4 do not say. They do not say that we're not important. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that we're not important. It just says to consider others as more important. You have to be important to consider somebody else more important. You're important. So it doesn't say that we are not important. We are. And it does not say that we're not to look out for our, for our own interests. It says that we are to look out. It says don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You're important, and your interests are important. We're just to look out for others as well. And so what they do is these verses, they simply warn us of our tendencies and they encourage us in our calling. Verses 3 and 4, they warn us of our tendencies and they encourage us in our calling. We are to live for the glory of God and the good of others. We are to live for the glory of God and the good of others. Did you know that? We're to live for the glory of God and the good of others. 
The Holy Spirit produces within each one of us a concern and a love for God's family. And so we can do one of two things with that concern and love. We can choose to receive that or we can reject it. That's our choice. But the Holy Spirit puts it in us because it's in God's Word. Our second stanza, our focus on the commander. The commander. Let's read Philippians 2, 5 through 8. So Paul says that we can do this and he focuses us focuses us on the commander. He says, have this attitude, what I just mentioned in verses 3 and 4, in yourselves, which was also in Christ. He says, look, man, he existed in the form of God, and he did not regard that a thing to hold on to, but he emptied himself, and he took something else. He took the form of a bond slave, a servant, and he was made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even one on a cross. Perhaps in all of Scripture, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 are the most spectacular of all verses on something called Christology, the study of Christ. Who's Christ? You can read a lot of things, but it's probably the most potent verses. If you want to understand Christ, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Who's this Jesus guy? 5, 6, 7, and 8. I want to know more. 5, 6, 7, and 8 is enough. Let that soak in for a couple months. Very spectacular verses on the person of Jesus Christ. And so I believe, I hope that we read, that we study, that we meditate on Scripture. Why? So as to be like Mike. Oh no, Christ. Right? We read, we study, we meditate, we memorize Scripture so that we can be like Christ. You can perhaps argue at this point that Paul is not fighting fairly. (laughs) By pointing us to Jesus Christ, right? So he tells us in verses 3 and 4 how we're supposed to live. And he says in verse 5, all I'm telling you to do is have this attitude in yourselves because it was also found in Jesus. Well, Paul, that's not fighting fairly now, is it? (laughs) By pointing to Christ, Paul is helping us wrestle with the possibility that we might have an attitude problem. Have you ever had an attitude problem between you and the Lord? Yes, you have. Me too. It happens. And so Paul is pointing to Christ. He's helping us wrestle with the fact that we might have an attitude problem. That's why he says, have this attitude in yourselves. Hey, man, it was also in Christ. So he takes away all of our excuses. Hmm. Because see, the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ is not about attitude or not about, I'm sorry, It's about attitude, not aptitude. The mind of Christ is about attitude. That's why Paul says, have this attitude, which was also in Christ. The mind of Christ is about attitude, not aptitude. It's about loving, not strictly learning. Amen? Attitude, not aptitude. Loving, not just learning. And so these verses tell us in verses 6, 7, and 8 some of the things about his attitude. It says in verse 6 that although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard, that's an attitude thing, he didn't regard equality with God a thing that he would hold on to. He changed his attitude. In verse 7 it says that he emptied himself. He had a good attitude to empty himself. And then he takes in verse 7 the form of a bondservant. He empties himself of divinity and takes on slavery. That's an attitude. And then in verse 8, it says he humbled himself. That's an attitude. And became obedient to a certain point, to the point of death. 
and even further, death on a cross. He went to the ultimate extreme for you and for me. The ultimate extreme. Church, (laughs) being a Christian means being like Christ. Being a Christian means being like Christ. Paul is declaring in these verses that if Christ can live that way, if Christ can have that attitude, then so can you. Right? If Christ can have that attitude, then so must we. See, it was a much greater leap for Christ to adopt this attitude than it will ever be for you and I. Out of his perfection, out of his holiness, out of being God, that he would go all the way over here to be like one of us. It was a much larger gap for him to cover than it is for us. And so Paul's taken away all excuses. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ. See, (laughs) Christ did not keep his privileges for himself, did he? Christ did not keep his privileges for himself, but he used them for others. He used his privileges for others. Check out how amazing this is. See, it says in verse 6 that Jesus did not grasp what he does actually have. He did not hold on to what he had. What did he have? He had equality with God. That's what it says in verse 6. He ex- although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing that he was going to hold on to. Jesus does not hold on to what he has. You know what we do? We try to hold on to what we don't have. We do that when we regard ourselves as more important than others. We do that when we merely look out for our own personal interest. Jesus didn't hold on to what he had, and we try to hold on to what we were never given. See, a spirit of pride, a spirit of pride in human relations indicates a lack of humility before the Almighty God. Lord, help us. Amen? Look at verse 8. I love this. Verse 8, in winding down this stanza, that Jesus being found in appearance as a man, this is how he was found. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. How obedient? To this point, to the point of death, and even more so, even death on a cross. How are you being found? How am I being found? That's how Jesus was found. He was humble. He was obedient to a point. What point? The point of death. Even death on a cross. What degree are you found? What degree am I found? To the point of death on a cross? To what point then are you and I being humble and obedient? Do we say, I'll be humble and obedient until it hurts? I'll be humble and obedient until it costs me money? I'll be humble and obedient until it costs me time? I'll be humble and obedient until I'm uncomfortable with somebody and the way they're speaking to me? Jesus knew the point that he was willing to be humble and obedient. He was willing to be humble and obedient to a point, to the point of death, even death on a cross. So where are you on that continuum? What point are you willing to be humble and obedient? Jesus was willing to be humble and obedient to the point of death, even that on a cross, while we were what? Yet sinners. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That's the point that he was willing to go for for you. What a challenging word for us. See, Jesus knows. It says in verse 7 that he emptied himself and he took on bond. He emptied himself of the essence of God and took on a bondservant. So Jesus knows, church. 
Jesus knows firsthand the value of emptying and taking. He knows the value of emptying and taking. Okay, what does that mean for me? (laughs) So we can trust him. We can trust him when he empties us so that we take something different. He knows the value of it. He emptied himself and took something different because there was value in it, because it pleased God and it brought glory to God. And so then he knows how to empty us so that we can take on something different. That's how good God is to us. Our last stanza, the confession. Let's read verses 9, 10, and 11. Because Jesus lived a life that was pleasing to God, God is glorified and his name is exalted. Verse 9, for this reason, God, right, the subject here is God. God exalted Jesus, and God bestowed on Jesus the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. Church, being a Christian means being like Christ. And being like Christ means that we do those things that are pleasing to God, and we do those things that bring glory to God, and that's what Jesus did. And that's why his name is exalted above all. Jesus only and always, oh man, may this be me. Jesus only and always did what what brought glory to his Father. Jesus only and always did what brought glory to his Father. And it was for that reason it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Why? To the glory of God the Father. And then the verses tell us that in verse um, 10, that no intelligent being in all of God's universe will escape this fact. Every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. No intelligent being in all the universe will escape this, whether angels or in saints in heaven, people living on the earth, or Satan, demons, and the unsaved in hell. That's what verse 10 tells us. All peoples will bow either willingly or they will be made to do so. And I just think that's amazing. Imagine, there will come a day, there will come a day when every human being will be in agreement. Can you imagine? Right, that's crazy. That's what the Scripture tells us. There will come a day when we will all, every person, willingly or unwillingly, we will all be in agreement and confess and bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm. So I ask you, how much of our lives do we intentionally and sacrificially live for the glory of God? How much of our lives are we intentionally and sacrificially living for God's glory? How much of our lives do we live for the glory of ourself? Look at verse 3 of Philippians 2. I glossed over this on purpose. Verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. See, it's all about God's glory, not our glory. Empty conceit means this. It means vain conceit. It means vain glory or empty glory. We can do things for God's glory or we can do them for our own glory, but our own glory is empty. It's vain. It's the emptiness that we've heard from so many people The emptiness of the world. People that have had so much, but without Christ, they just said, I was empty. That's what Paul's referring to. Verse 9 tells us, I'm going to close with this. It says, for this reason. So because of those things, verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, 
For this reason, because Christ lived that way, those are the Christology verses, 5 through 8. For this reason, because of what I just said in 5 through 8, God exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. I wonder how those words would play out for you. How would the Lord fill in? How would Paul fill in that for you? For this reason, God bestowed an exalted Karen. For what reasons? You get what I'm saying? Like, what would God say about you? What would Paul say about you? This is what he says about Christ. For these reasons that I just mentioned, God exalted Jesus and bestowed on him a great name. What would God say about you? What would be the things for, if he would say, for this reason, for all these things that I've done, Karen would say, or I would say, how would God speak of me? How would Paul speak of me? I really wrestled with that this morning. I'm, I'm going to take some time and really pray that through. Like, what would God say about me? He would say, Mark, for this reason, whatever, I just want to see what the Lord has to say to me, good, bad, or indifferent. I hope you take the time to do, the, to do that as well. What would the Lord say about, what would God say about you? This is what he says about Christ. What would he say about you? For what reasons would he say what he would say about you? Amen? I'm going to invite up the worship team. I'm going to pray us, um, pray us out of our time together while the worship team works their way up. If you need prayer from our prayer team, they are available down here in the corner to my left, your right. Thank you for being here. The Lord loves you. His word is so good for us. Thank you for being learners. Thank you for desiring to be pleasing to God. Thank you that you are here because you hope your lives are bringing glory to God. He loves you so much, man. We're, just, we're so blessed. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are here because we want to please you. We want to be like Christ who always does what's pleasing to his Father. Help us, Lord, to be pleasing to you because when we are, it brings you glory and then you bestow upon us a great name. We love you. We thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.